Good morning. Good to see you here today. Hope you're enjoying the school holidays. We're in the Together series, and this is, believe it or not, message number 11. We're in the book of Galatians today, and hopefully you have your bulletin and you've got your notes here. There's only three words that you have to fill in. Of course, there's lots of room to fill in some other stuff as well. There'll be a lot of scriptures, but there's three words I want you to remember because we're talking about what it means to discover unity together and the gospel-focused church, which we are uh, claiming to be a gospel-focused church, stands for certain things. And one of the things they stand for is for liberty. And liberty is a, is a word that, um, from my old country, from America, of course, we had the 4th of July. We just, just had it. And people say, what is the 4th of July? Well, it's the time when they, the, the Declaration of Independence, and of course it created a battle. And all these things um, developed a, a new nation that is here today. And so we, we have, um, there's a cry, a watch cry that they had there of liberty. And we'll discuss that in a moment. And so it's very appropriate that we have a look here in, in Galatians chapter number 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. We're looking at the application of what it means to live in liberty. The Apostle Paul, up to all this time here in the first four chapters, has been talking about how concerned he is for the churches in that area because they tend to want to go back to legalism. And what legalism means it means that you're trying to do something in order to be acceptable with God and with each other. And so the Apostle Paul's been laying that down. I'm not going to re revisit all that. But he ends up and he says here in verse number one, we're going to look at three different verses here today. Verse number one, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ hath made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's in verse number 1. Verse number 10. We're going to drop down here. Verse number 10. And I'll fill in the blanks here in a few moments. But in verse number 10, the Apostle Paul says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. We'll discuss that and find out what that means in a moment. And then in verse number 13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know, quite often, especially um, those who've been walking with the Lord for many years, you, you can get to a place where you... You get used to it, and you should never, ever get used to it. Let me tell you a story about a, a guy named William Newell. William Newell was born in 1868, so he's a modern guy. As a real young guy, he was very intelligent, and he went to Princeton, and he did other seminary work. And in his early 20s, he had, he had all his, his, um, his education done, and he pastored a small church in Chicago. Dwight Moody, some of you may have heard of the Moody Bible Institute. Google it sometime, you'll see it's a huge institute today with radio stations around the world and so forth. And in the Bible Institute there, R.A. Torrey was in charge of one of the departments. And so he needed an assistant. So they saw this young man, William Newell, and they said, you know, won't you come and be an assistant in our Bible Institute? So here's a young man who, very in his 20s, who's now being in charge of being an assistant of the Bible Institute. That's 
pretty big step. And also, he was to be in charge of teaching expository lessons, very similar to probably what we do on a Friday night with Explore the Bible. But he was teaching in his, his, his books that he really enjoyed teaching were the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, and the book of Revelation. I remember my first years of, of ministry. I determined to preach through a couple of different, three different books, the book of John, the book of Romans, and the book of Revelation, and the book of Hebrews. I actually have his commentary on the book of Hebrews called Hebrews Verse by Verse. It's a very, I got the 1945 edition. I got it from my dad. And so, so this, this man was very, very well-versed. And it was later on, he had, he had citywide in Chicago, in St. Louis, and in Toronto, up in Canada. Big citywide, thousands of people would come just to hear him expositorily um, present the Bible. We don't see that today, do we? You know, we, we don't see people so hungry for the Word of God. Well, that's what he did. Let me show you his heart. You might be familiar with a song called At Calvary. When he was 27 years old, he was walking down the hallways of that um, Bible Institute and it just impressed upon him what this salvation, this walk with Christ actually meant for him. And he ducked into one of the side rooms and he sat down and he started writing down the following lyrics. He said, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. He says, by God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law that I'd spurned. Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Now, he says, I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, he writes. Oh, that grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. He says, mercy, there was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. It's that phrase there, my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary that I want to think about here today. Because what often happens is, is we understand the things about the Bible, but it needs to get from our heads into our hearts. Because it's you may think that the legalist is, is, is a hard life in trying to do it. It is a hard life. But let me tell you, it's the life that people mainly choose, and especially in churches. They try to be better than another person. They try to they follow these certain rules, and they think that by doing that, by attending and doing these different things, even by doing good things, that they're somehow acceptable with the Lord. And here is a young man who is teaching the Bible, and it hits him. Years I spent, he said. He's in his 20s. Years I spent in vanity and pride. He nailed it. He knew exactly what the opposite of grace was. And the Apostle Paul is talking about this in the chapter that we're looking at today. And so we're going to look at the outline here. It is in your bulletin. And there's three things I want you to think about here today. 
to stand in liberty, to stay in liberty, and to serve in liberty. Three simple words. Took me a week to come up with those three simple words because they had to start with S. Can you remember that? Stand, stay, and serve. And these three areas of application will exercise your liberty in Jesus Christ. So this is very, very practical. This is something that you can put on and practice today and begin to work because that's what Paul's doing here. Notice it says in verse number one, he says here, um, this will, I uh, encourage you to bring your Bibles or at least have electronic version and have it and look at it here because you can see the context and it will really bless you. The things on the screens will just be the highlights that, that we're looking at. But in verse number one of chapter number five, Paul says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. That therefore is there for something. And what he's saying here, now we're going to apply what we've been learning he says, we're no longer children of the bondwoman of the, of the last chapter. We're no longer children of the time when we are, are bound and we're, and we're under chains. He says, no, we're free. So the first thing that we need to do is stand, therefore, in that liberty. And he says that if you don't stand in the liberty, what's going to happen is you're going to be um, entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you didn't have, you didn't really understand um, what was going on in, in, your, in your life and what was, was happening. You thought you had to make your own decisions. You thought that you had to, to figure life out for yourself. And then you found that in Jesus Christ, that he released you from that. However, that yoke of bondage has been exchanged for another different yoke. In Matthew chapter number um, 11, Jesus Christ makes an incredible promise to you, and I want you to take this down. Come unto me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A familiar passage, isn't it? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And here's what you're going to find. He says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, some of you may not understand what a yoke is. A yoke is, is something that they, that they would put on you, uh, on, on cattle mainly, and they would yoke two cow, um, um, oxen together and they would pull a plow and they would do something and the yoke was heavy and it would, it would control them. But he says, my yoke, the things that allow me to, to enter into your life and to give you meaning and to, and to direction. He says, you're going to find that that's not burdensome. In fact, the book of John tells us, or, or 1 John, he says, he says, his commandments are not burdensome. They don't weigh you down. You see, your liberty that you have comes with responsibility. You want to know the, the difference between the two? Go in the book of 1 Corinthians especially, where he talks about that, how people were using their liberty to actually run over everybody else. And he says, no, that's not it. He says, no. He says, don't become entangled with that yoke that was bounding you down. Some of us are walking with memories of the past. And we're, we're walking just like Newell said, years I spent in vanity and pride and you've got those distant memories and you've got those things that are keep weighing you down keep. it's not from the lord 
That's not the one to send you uh, those messages to you. And so he says, take rid, get rid of that and take on the yoke of Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to understand that the first thing that you need to do is you need to understand that you're no longer a debtor to the old law anymore. It's been paid. A legalist becomes a debtor to the whole law. You know, if you say, well, look, I'm going to try to please God by obeying the Ten Commandments. Well, you probably have messed up the first one by even thinking about it. If you can't keep one of the commandments, you can't keep any of the commandments. And if you can keep one of them, you need to keep them all. Look at verse number three in, in your Bibles there. He says here, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. The word circumcised is, in other words, to go back to the Jewish law. He says, I testify to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. He has that obligation. In Christ, however, we have a new obligation. It's an obligation to live in freedom. It's an obligation to live in that liberty. In Romans chapter 8, the whole section is verses 12 through 15. And you look at the whole chapter. He's talking about your life in the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul discussed that in chapter 4 um, that Michael looked at last week. And, um, and in other places where he's talking about now you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. In Christ, we have a new obligation. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You see, the flesh tries to attempt to live under God's standards. He says, no, no. He, he says, we're not a debtor to that anymore. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ paid your debt when he died on the cross for your sins. That's why we sing praises to him. That's why we never get over it. That's why William Newell, at, at age in his 20s, walking down the hallway, getting ready to go to one of his lectures, it impresses upon him who he really is. He has to live under grace. Years I spent in vanity and pride, but mercy was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. The Apostle Paul says, no, he says, you're a debtor, but not to the old life anymore. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. For if you live according to the flesh, he says, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, there, there's, a, there's a, um, um, a, a way that the world just doesn't understand. He says, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive that spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's a repeated phrase that Paul uses. He says your whole new relationship now is not to be a debt to the old life, the law. You know what was the problem with that is? It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was hundreds of more. And then there were thousands of ordinances that were added to that. So that person never knew if he was er ever going to be right. Have you ever run across somebody like that? You say, do you know if you to die today, if you would spend eternity in heaven? And they would say, I think so. I hope so. I don't know if there's a heaven or not. We often say that in, in, um, in, in biblical Christianity, when you receive Christ as Savior, that you have a no-so salvation. You know these things. 
So the Apostle Paul says that you receive that spirit of adoption and you cry out, Abba, Father, you have a whole new relationship. You know, if you're going to be living according to what Paul here says as a church family here, according to the old ways, you're going to be having, if you, if you have a, a, um, 500 people, you're going to have 500 different walks, 500 different attitudes. He says there, your unification is found when you discover that Jesus Christ, you're obligated to him. He's the Lord of your life. His burden is light, he says. His yoke is indeed easy. So you're no longer a debtor to the old law. Now you have a future. And your future is not looking bright. It is bright, but your future is looking righteous. You see, if you're going to face God, you cannot face God like some people think that, oh, God will understand. I'll just go and tell him, what, you know, here's where I was born. This is my lot in life and all this. No, no, you're either righteous or you're not righteous. We, we worship a holy God. Holiness simply means that he was separated. He separated from sin, the thing that falls short of his glory. And so if you're going to make this stand in liberty, you need to understand that that's going to create a new future for you. You're not just thinking about this week. You're not just thinking about the next holiday or your, or, your, or your next job or your next career move or anything like that. You're thinking much bigger than that. Look at verse number five. He says, for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What a wonderful verse that is. You have a future that's righteous. For we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, and, and there were so many verses I could have used with this to develop this thought, but we're just going to just use this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. It's a wonderful theme that Paul said that the churches throughout this area. By the way, this is not written to one church. This is written to many churches. As I begin to meditate on this and think about this, I'm thinking to myself that there could very well be in that region some churches that were very legalistic and ch some churches that grabbed onto that liberty. Can you imagine how their fellowship must have been like? <laughs> must have been very, very difficult. But he says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's that liberty that you have in Christ. And then there's a fourth thought here that, that, that I found here in this, uh, out of many thoughts, I brought it down to four, is found in verse number six. And remember, the term circumcision means to become under the Jewish law. Uncircumcision means to be a Gentile. And he says in verse number six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything. But faith working through love. So now you have a faith that really works. A faith that really works. It's not just talk. You know, for in Christ, you have a faith that works through love. We're going to develop that in just a moment. But in James chapter 2, very famously, James pins this in chapter 2 and verse number 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Here's what James says. 
Show me your faith without or apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What James is saying here and what Paul is indicating here is that what you do will indicate what you believe. Faith is another term for belief. And so as you walk, as you decide that you're going to make your stand in liberty, you're going to have a faith that changes the way that you actually walk, the things that you talk about, the things that you think about, the fellowship that you have, the music you listen to, the music that you, that you sing. All these different things, it's going to be a faith that actually works out. It's a working out faith. So the first application is, and here's the first thing you got to remember. you got to make a determination. I'm going to make a stand. And I'm going to stand on liberty. Some people think that standing on liberty is taking the easy road. That's actually the most difficult road because there's going to be a battle coming up. And that battle's going to come up in my second point here. Is you don't just stand. Stand is easy to say, here's what I determined to do. Now you got to stay. Number two is you have to stay in your new liberty. Do you know why? Because that's where the battle is. The battle's in the staying. And in verse number seven, the Apostle Paul says here, you ran well. He says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? That's quite a statement there. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. The th- first thought I, I was thinking here in verse number seven is don't let others sidetrack you. Don't let others take you off. He's, he's like a picturing of race and you're running a race. And I think the kids here at the, at the college had a marathon and they ran around, they did things. It was really easy to run around the oval. Because as you're running around the oval, you're following some person and you can see where the end was. The end was where, where the, they, they said, you hear this and you just run around and just do this and it was fun. The hard part is if you were told to run the race and to go to places that you don't know about. And as you're running, you're believing that as you follow that route, that it's going to take you to the destination that you believe that you're supposed to be going to. And Paul says you ran well. You did really well. You started out by accepting Christ as your Savior. You were praising the Lord. You were so thankful for what He's done in your life. And you had determined that you're going to take a stand and you're going to stand on liberty. You, you, you've been released to the years I spent in vanity and pride, but that's not there anymore. He says, now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own Him as my King, as Newell said. He says, now you're going to find that there's going to be others who are going to be trying to trip you up and change you from your liberty. The Apostle Paul spent all those four chapters. Months ago when we started this series, I encouraged you to read the book of Galatians over and over again. If you have the audio Bible, in fact, if you don't, you need to get it and listen to it. You can get it free on the internet and everything and just constantly listen to it. I listen to it at least once a day. I listen to the book of Galatians. And I have it in my mind, and it's floating around up there. And, and, and things come to my mind. And, and that's what um, one, one preacher said, that you need, to be, um, um, you need to be biblically, have a biblical worldview. And you do that by putting God's word in your heart. And so, you know, he says here, you started off good. You ran well. But what hindered you? Oh, there's a lot of things that hinder you. 
It's called life. <laughs> it's called making a living. It's called, it's called trying to keep up with the peer group. All these different things are going to try to trip you up in your Christian walk. He says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Believer, let me, let me encourage you. Identify those things in your life. Identify and name them. This is what's tripped me up. What, what's stopping you from joining the connect group and getting involved with, with the fellowship of the brothers and sisters and, 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 and getting down to the Identify what it is and then do something about it. You know, what, what, what's stopping you from doing what my third point's going to be? And you're going to find that in just a moment because that's where it all leads up to. Identify and say, you know what? I did run well. I want to continue to run well. William Newell made that decision when he was 27 years old. Wrote that down. Sometime later, somebody put it to music, and that's where we get the song today at Calvary. If you don't know it, Google it. Listen to it. It's a wonderful song. But it wasn't until years later, after years and years of Bible teaching, somebody said, you need to write that down. So he began to publish it. The book that I have of his is the book of Hebrews, verse by verse. As you open it up, it says on the first page, a note from the author. If you have any comments, please contact me in my home. That's, that's the kind, you know, first edition, pretty cool. And so you look at that. Well, he, he passed away just a few months before I was born. So he's been off the scene for quite a while, but I still have something that you look up and you say, here's a man who wasn't going to finish the race on the sidelines. He was going to run well. Christian, you need to understand that if you're going to stand in liberty, you're going to have to determine to stay in liberty, and that's a day-by-day operation. Paul says it this way. He, he, he always, and by the way, if you read the Apostle Paul, in the book of Galatians, you're going to find in the book of Corinthians writing the same thing. book of Ephesians, he mentions the same thing. He has a theme that he all through all the, the letters to the churches, and thus he has one to the Corinthians. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? You go, yeah. He says, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You see, you're not going out for a jog. You're not going out for a walk. You're running a race to get the prize. Later on in that, from verses um, 25 down to verse 27, he talks about what he does. He disciplines himself. There's a couple of you in, in church here that absolutely intimidate me because you're runners. I'm walking my dog and you just run on by, you know. And you go, oh, man, you know, a couple of you, you're, you, you do these 5K runs. Oh, my, it takes me enough to walk to the fridge. Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> I, went, I, I ran well, but then something detracted me along the way. So identify those things. Don't let others sidetrack you. Number two is find your confidence in the Lord, not in yourself. Don't find your confidence in your programs, in the, in the system. Find it in the Lord. Look at verse number 10. He says in verse number 10 again, I have confidence, the Apostle Paul says in you. I have confidence in you, but you don't stop there. We love to say that, you know. 
you're going to do this. You'll be great and all this. Paul didn't say that. He says, no, no. He says, I'm afraid of you. <laughs> That's what he says in the previous verses. He says, I worry over you. In fact, he called him a couple chapters ago. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Why are you doing this? And then later on, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord. You know, this has got to be, the church has got to be, if you're going to be a unified church, it's got to be a church where you're confident that God's doing a work in each other's lives. When we shake your hand, when we say good morning to you and all this, we're not looking at you as somebody who's defeated. We're looking at you as somebody who Christ has done a wonderful work and he's doing a work in your life and we have confidence in you. Your leaders have confidence that God will get the victory in your life. Paul had that to the Philippians. When he says in, in Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, I, am, I am, know that the thing, I'm paraphrasing, I know that the things that God is doing in your life, he's going to continue to do until he's finished with you and he comes and gets you. That's a wonderful thing. He's got confidence in you. You know, um, um, in Proverbs 3, um, this, this confidence building thing that, that, that we talk about, today is is not new to our generation it's always been well around and the and solomon wrote there he says do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes for the lord will be your confidence he says and he'll keep your foot from being caught there's nothing that you're going to do this week that the Lord hasn't already seen the way and he'll be walking with you. So Paul says here, Paul says, I have confidence in you. You're going to get the victory. That's why we have confidence when we open up the word of God, your, your teachers here and, and, the, and the people who are teaching your children right now and, and all this. When we open up the Bible and we look at this, we look at it and we go, you know what? It'll work. We know this is going to work. I determined as a young man, uh, I, I don't have this in my notes, so I don't know if I'll do this. The, the first hour I practice, the second hour I'll get it right, the next, the next message. But when I was a young man, I can remember as a teenager, I was challenged, what are you going to do with your life? And I can remember the day, I can remember exactly, I came forward during a meeting. And I said, at 15 years old, and I said, Lord, um, I, I don't know what, what you're going to do with me, but, but you've got me. Here I am, and oh, boy. Has it been a, a journey all that time? And I made this determination. I thought, well, I don't know if I'm going to be faithful 50 years from now. I've, I've arrived 50 years from now. 50 years from now. But I know that I can be faithful today. And then one day led to another day. Eh, ups and downs and well, had some bad times and all this. and going down. But I've seen God working in my life. Paul says here, he says, I have confidence in you. I have confidence that what, that what you're going to do, you will have no other mind. You will follow what I'm encouraging you to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. The Word of God is dwelling in you. And so he says here in, in, in verse number 10, But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. I imagine Paul had some names in mind. <laughs> When he was writing that down. But he says you know what. If somebody brings any other doctrine. You're going to be able to recognize it. Why? Because you know what liberty is. 
You're not going to be brought under that. To the Thessalonians, he wrote this. He said, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts unto the love of God and unto the patience of Christ. Oh yeah, this is a battle. This is, this is something that you're going to be working on each and every day. Let me tell you, when, when the United States, before it was the United States, it was 13 colonies. There were 13 colonies in, in a new world, and they were establishing themselves and they decided that they wanted to, and they, they, they left England, and they were still under the, 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 um, the crown, and, and they weren't wanting to, to necessarily, at the beginning, to move away from that, they, but they wanted to, to learn a couple different things. They wanted to understand that people had the right to own property. They also wanted to, to, um, uh, to, to understand that, um, that, that people needed the right to movement, to have free exercise, to, to, to move around. They also wanted people to understand that they had the right to, have a, to believe, to have their own religion, to have a religion, not necessarily the state telling what to do. But they also understood, and you may have heard this, that taxation must come through being represented. So, so in other words, when the colonies came, they, they formed the taxation system. You said, what is this all about? I'm getting to that. And so what they said is, could, there's responsibilities that we have with ownership, responsibilities with movement, responsibilities with, with what you believe and how you teach your children, and responsibility to the local authorities to pay taxes. They didn't have income taxes, and they had property taxes. But the King of England said, no, no, no. Now, we're going to charge you. In fact, we're going to charge you a GST. We're going to charge you a duty on tea. You ever heard of the Boston Tea Party? We're going to charge you on, on all these different things. And it really bothered them because they had no representation. They were on the other side of the world. For right or wrongly, it doesn't really, that's not what I'm here to talk about. But a word kept coming up. It was called liberty. We want liberty. They weren't saying we want to be free from, from restraint. No, no. We want to have the responsibility to walk in liberty in this new land. There's a, there were several, several patriots that came up in those days. And one was named Patrick Henry. And in 1785, this is 1785, that, that he spoke before before the, um, uh, the Second Virginia Convention. And um, I think, I, do I have a picture up there of this? Yes, there is. And somehow they caught this picture. It's even in color. <laughs> and he was there, and what was happening is, is the, the British had sent several ships over to these 13 colonies, and they were going to deal with them. They were going to go and invade them. And they were, the ships were coming, and they knew they were coming. And the people, the militia were, were getting ready for this. And there were some who said, no, we need to defend this liberty. We can't just stop this. And others were saying, no, nah, no, nah, let's, let's, let, let's just let it go. It's going to be okay. But, but this particular man stood up 
and he made a speech. And I'm going to take the time just to read some of this because I think that we can take these principles and understand them in, in a believer's life. You've got to make statements. You've got to understand the situation at hand. And so he stands up, and it's quite a, a long speech, but I just took one little paragraph. He says, if we were base enough to deserve it, he says, it is now too late to retire from the contest. In other words, he says, it's, it's too late to negotiate. We've been trying to negotiate. We've been trying to say, okay, we're going to do this and this. They're not having it. He says, there is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanging may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable and let it come. He goes, I repeat, sir, let it come. It is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why are we standing here idle? What is it the gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear, our peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The Apostle Paul said, you need to determine that you're going to stand on liberty. You need to determine that you are in a battle. The evil one is trying to defeat you. He is trying to sidetrack you. He is trying to bring you into bondage. If you don't believe it, you got the world, you got the flesh, and you got the devil. You are in a battle. But if you want liberty, if you want the freedom in Christ, you're going to have to fight that battle. Ephesians talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 talk about it. He talks about this battle, and you know, every one of them, he says, I have confidence you're going to win this battle. Why? Because you are, as Michael said before, in Christ. The battle's not yours. The battle's already been won. Give me liberty or give me death. And the rest, as they say, is history. A year later, they had the War of Independence. They won that battle. And now today, England and America are the best of allies. Different countries, best of allies. <laughs> and so we see here that we now are ready to see the reason why that we need to stand and stay in liberty. And I'll be real quick here. I just realized the time. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, and, and we'll build on this next week. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. This is your calling. He says, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't say, now that I've got liberty and I'm free, that I can do whatever I want. Tell you what, we don't have a nation like that. If we have a nation like that, we're going to lose our liberty as a nation. 
If you say in a marriage contract that you have or a marriage vows that you make to one another that now you have liberty, that means I can go and do whatever you want, you actually don't know what marriage is. And if you think that walking with Jesus Christ that you have liberty, so therefore you've just got an escape clause from hell and you're just going to go to heaven, but God doesn't really have anything to do, you're sadly mistaken. He says, don't use that liberty as an occasion to live the way you want to live because if you do, you're going to lose that liberty and you'll be brought into bondage. He says, but do this, but through love serve one another. The third point, the final point, and it's only going to be a minor point because they're going to build on it later. Serve. Serve in liberty. See, liberty is your calling, but it comes with a warning. In Corinthians, he says, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So our liberty is a calling with a warning. Then our liberty also is the only way you're going to overcome this flesh that you have. You're not going to fight this battle by just adding more and more impositions upon your life, more and more rules on your life. It's going to be a new love that you have a new calling that you have, a new desire, and a new motivation. In 1 Corinthians, he, he says, uh, sorry, in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 24, and this is going into to maybe next week or the week after, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I encourage you to read the rest of that chapter, and you'll get the understanding of what this battle's all about. But here's how you serve now. You serve with love. Do you know why the, um, the, the, the music people who were here before, uh, they were here, and, and they, they were here long before you guys, some of you out of bed. They were here working. They were here on Wednesday night working, practicing. You know, took hours to put this together. It, ta- it takes hours to do all these different things. You know, do you do it out of obligation? No, you learn when you live in liberty, you do it because you love it. And you love the people. So he says here, he says, when you serve, you don't serve as an opportunity for the flesh because what the flesh does is says, look at me. You know, and then you get upset if someone's not looking at you. No, he says, no, he says, serve, but through love, serve one another. (sighs) Connect, grow, and serve in liberty. Let me close with this. What does love mean? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails so what's your response going to be well i think it's going to be up there on the board i'm not sure it's definitely in your notes here i determine make this determination i determine to stand good i determine to stay going to be today tomorrow the next day and i determine to serve in the liberty of christ because my confidence is not in me My confidence is in the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that the Apostle Paul doesn't just talk 
in, in, in theory, but he actually gives us the practice of how we're to develop this wonderful liberty that you give us. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts today as we close, as we go out and have fellowship, that we may be able to learn to, to love and to serve one another because you gave your life on Calvary for us. And if there's somebody here today, Lord, who's searching and they're, they're wondering what, what this, this Christianity is all about, that they will understand that Jesus Christ came and he died for them. He was buried and he rose again for them to give them victory. And I pray, Lord, that you will touch their lives today. Help us to be a unified church that stands on this wonderful thing of liberty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.